0: Ebullient greetings, I'm your host, Jackie Bird of Jackie Bird Spiritual Wellness, your guide to stress and anxiety relief, mindfulness, awareness, self-care, self-love, and personal growth. Welcome and thank you for joining me as we roll with peace in mind. Today's riff is, Are You on the Right Train? Riding on the Urge. These episodes feature people who are doing their thing, they follow their heart and their passion, and they create how they want, what they want, when they want, and they are riding on the right train. Today's spotlight is Bill Easley.
1: <laughs> Hello, Miss Jacqueline. Oh my goodness, William. How you heard hear me? Me- Oh, this is marvelous. I haven't seen you since you were a little girl. (laughs) I want
0: you to introduce yourself to everybody. Tell the people who you are and uh, what it is that you do and where you're from.
1: Oh, geez, that's hard. You're gonna start with the hard questions. Of course. My name is William R. Easley. Ew. I was born at a very early age and (laughs) very interesting experience ever since then i'm a musician a fourth generation and i've done nothing but blow air through pipes my whole life don't try it at home it's not an easy way to make a living and i wouldn't recommend it for youth but i wouldn't trade it for the world and i've been able to survive all through all kind of adversities. I've been to ground zero about five hundred times. Mm, and you now, kept getting up. Keep getting up. That's that's the thing.
0: Understand? My goodness. So so, Phil, <laughs> tell folks the instruments
1: that you play. Oh, I'm I'm a woodwind player. I play saxophone and clarinet and flute, etc. And whatever you know, whatever. If my favorite is what. Whatever they'll pay me to play, I, that's my favorite. If it's paying, I'm playing. <laughs> if it's paying, he's playing. I started with the woodwinds in general. The mother or the father of the woodwind is the clarinet. You understand? Years ago, if you were, uh, you know, you started with the clarinet. After you've played the clarinet for a while, picking up a saxophone is actually very easy, but not vice versa. In other words, mm. if with the saxophone, You can't pick up a clarinet and play it. Clarinet is much more complicated. Mm -hmm. And some people hate the clarinet because it is so complicated. One of my great mentors, Mr. Frank West, put up the saxophone, the clarinet case and he'd look and it comes in pieces. And Frank West would say, he'd say, you know, the clarinet was invented by five different people who never met (laughs) each other and wouldn't have liked each other had they met each other. A lot of people don't like, but that which opened for me, all the people that hated the clarinet, that created more work for me over the years. And I was on most of the better jobs that I had in my lifetime where it was a job that nobody else wanted to do, you see, so they would have to call me because what I, that's the way that I started. And I started, I started working professionally before I ever picked up a saxophone. I started just with a clarinet, and but I was in my mother and father's band and It was like in eighth grade, I started working, you know, and back. Wow.
0: Let me back up a little bit because I want to talk a little bit more about the clarinet because, you know, I think at at least for me as a child, I wanted a clarinet and I kept asking my parents, could I have one? And they kept saying no. They were Um, smart. They were smart. (laughs) That was your first instrument. I didn't know that. When you talk to me, you understand everything you say triggers stories. Oh, but I have to jump in because the thing about it is Bill, all right. I know Bill from a show called Sophisticated Ladies. It was the musical yep. Duke Ellington, sure. right? And yeah. yep. and we did a tour. We were on a bus. Oh, that was great. Yeah. Right? And 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 Bill was one of my you were one of my saviors on that trip because we would be on the bus. We'd be traveling 5, 6 hours and then we'd have to get off in a city, and like, so, like, a lot of times I didn't even get to go to my hotel room, I had to go straight right. to the theater, yeah, right? Sure. As a yeah. dance captain, but you would tell these stories that just went on and on and on and on, and it just really helped kill the time. <laughs> oh, you know, okay, it was, it, was, right. it was, yeah, I don't know if you knew that. It was, <laughs> it was like. It was kind of like, daddy, tell a story, you know, yeah, well, back well, talking, well, you know, all y'all yeah. would be, all the musicians
1: would be talking and then you would go into a story. And it would... uh, You know, all my friends, they say, don't ever ask me a question unless you have about two hours to wait. <laughs> and that's, and I understand. And I'm working on that, believe it or not. Well, I'm going to be jumping in and jumping in because this two. Oh, no, no, Share stop me. You, in order to get in a word, you're going to have to jump in, you understand? Because when you say something, it's gonna take me all the way back. And this is a true story. And there, there's, see, as a kid, I and I remember, I connect all the dots of my life. So Ooh. when a little teeny kid, well, you know, I grew up in a small town and primarily white pop. Where was that? Where was that? Pullian, New York, upstate New York, near, Buffalo, we went there with Sophisticated, because a university, St. Bonaventures is there. And on that tour of Sophisticated Ladies, that was one of our one-nighters that we went. Ooh, okay. Going back to the clarinet and how I gravitated toward the clarinet. It starts with a couple years before then, me and my cousins went to see the movie king kong you understand it's black oh yeah this is probably the original king kong. yep but we were little kid you know maybe seven it, it was back in those days and in this town kids could kind of just go on their own and go do on their own and so and so so i had to be maybe maybe eight 8 years old and I'm with my cousins and we went to see King Kong and it's uh, right n- not in the e- just getting toward evening so we're sitting there with our popcorn and King Kong came on that stage. We ran out of the theater. <laughs> he scared us to death. He was, yeah, he was huge, man. it was huge and it took up the whole scale. And we and we ran, we we went home. We went home, you know. And so you know, the our parents and my sisters and so they wait a minute, the movie can't be over yet. And so I really was embarrassed. That I was frightened, you understand. I was very yeah. embarrassed. That I was frightened by this, you know, whatever it was, gorilla. And I was I yeah. an, a nightmare about it with a gorilla and me, with me and my brother in the kitchen, and this gorilla comes in. You know, I mean, shortly after this, you know, this. So I, but I felt really embarrassed because I, I, I had a bunch of sisters, you see. I'm oh okay where were you in the li- where are you in the lineup bottom you understand i have oh. explained you know some of this you understand? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> i'm the youngest and i got i but everybody wants to make sure that i'm this tough gruff you know I, I be, you know good, couldn't oh. no and it's a, if somebody called me the N word when I was a kid, I I was, I had to go beat them up. That's the way from a, that's why I'm so gruff now because I was taught to be, a- you know, because that is funny. You do yeah. have a gruff exterior. Yes, like I, I
0: remember that. when I, yeah, I remember when <laughs> back in, you know, because, but you know what? You weren't the only one, a lot of those, a lot of you cats oh, ba- yeah. back in that, you know, y'all acted all. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. It's <laughs> a certain,
1: it's a certain, yeah. Yeah, it's a generational thing. You understand? Okay. Okay. Okay,
0: because wow. y'all definitely so, all, all you musicians yeah, no, had you're that right, you're right. and There's you a, had it. We'll but once, it. We'll, but, we'll get but, but it. wait, but once, but once you decided that you were going to, you know, like I had to be approved. Like once I was approved by you guys, then yeah. it was all good. Then it was oh, then yeah, I was yeah. then yeah, I belonged well, you, to all of you. And that's
1: <laughs> when I look back, and I realize I've been around so many characters, so many. <laughs> <laughs> many characters and i was a, a lot of time for many years i was around much so older guys than me you see
0: yeah i want to go, go back to the the king kong story okay oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, th- yeah 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 i'm gonna, I'm gonna, go I'm gonna to
1: finish that, that. so <laughs> okay now and now you got to realize this is back in the 50 and in in so my sister is a senior in high school and she's playing in the talent program. You know the you know the high school puts on a show. Oh sh- yeah, now so. in the fifties, yeah. not upstate New York. But people after it's hard to believe, but back in those days, the it was a minstrel show. You understand, with with Men with black, black face and their lip. You know, but they were white people. My sister was probably the only black person in. The, she just played the piano. But the theme of the show was wow. a minstrel show where you got N-men and a guy, hey, who was that lady I saw you with last week? That was no lady, that was your wife and so and so, you know, one mm-hmm. you know, and then, but one of the N-men, and I, I, I'll use the term N-men, if for those yeah. who don't know, in a minstrel show, you had these people, the, you know sitting at at both edge that you may have two or three on each side but they're in black face with the white you know white lips and so on so and so and so on. so but and they're mimicking you know their characterization of black people you see so one of the end men in the show went out one of his because these are high school kids but one of them went out and played the clarinet You understand? Went out and played the clarinet. And he played a tune called the 12th Street Rag. You understand? But I'm looking at these people up, these people in blackface on the stage. And to me, I don't know that they're supposed to be black people. I I Mm. aren't like any of the black people that I know. So I leaned over to my other sister who sit, we're sitting in the audience. And I leaned over to my sister and I said, I said, you know, he's pretty good for a gorilla. <laughs> and I thought he was a gorilla, and 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 my main point I was trying to prove wow. that I'm no—he doesn't scare me. You understand? It's a gorilla, but he plays pretty good clarinet. You understand? So, oh wow, dude, called, and so by then I'm like. Eight or eight, nine years old, or so and so and so. But he played the 12th Street Legos. So, oh, that's the 12th Street. Rag, yeah, you know? so, but that's what he played, you know. So now you get into in the fifth grade, and while well, they end of fourth grade, and they ask you to pick out an instrument. For yep. You can start in the fifth grade. So I picked the clarinet, you know. Wow. And so yeah, they get went and rented a clarinet and so on, so on, so on. So when they taught you, they say, okay, now this is F, eh, now this is E, eh, eh, now this is D. Eh. I said, oh yeah. I said, deed-a-loo, 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 deed-a-loo. so I started playing right away. Oh. <laughs> but it was, uh, but that, that's the whole thing with the gorilla. And How and deep is that? And, that
0: yeah, that was well, the inspiration it, for you. Yeah.
1: Well, to pick up the clarinet, wow! Well, that and one other thing. Uh oh. <laughs> to see the Benny Goodman story, you see. Benny Goodman was one of the early people to hire black musicians. Yeah, so this is back, you know, in the when Benny Goodman was a, the biggest jazz in the forties, right? Swing, you understand? Yeah. So, but so I see, and I in the movie they had, they showed Benny Goodman and having these black people. Mm -hmm. band, you know. okay. And my father was a musician in this white town, but there were times where he had white musicians working for him in the 40s. So what did your parents play? Okay, my father, you know, you gotta go all the way back. And I'm not sure, but my father tells me that his first instrument was a banjo but he was out as a drummer in a five piece band and doing one you know playing places across the country the east coast in 1928 he came in 1928 in 1928 he's out there on the road with this band and they have a job coming up and you got you got to think there's probably uh, uh you know prohibition and all of that yeah. going but anyway, he come. He's scheduled to come to my hometown in 1928, and there was a sa- there was a five piece band, and the saxophone player in the band was a man. His last name was Turantine. was the father of a very great one of my heroes, Stanley Turantine. Yes, he was from Pittsburgh. But Stanley Turrentine's father played with my father in 1928. And they get this job coming to this Olean, New York. And Turrentine had a family emergency to where he had to go back to Pittsburgh. So they needed a saxophone player in the band. So my mother's brother, Dar, played saxophone. And so Dar, my uncle Dar, and his uncle also played saxophone and my grandmother went to a conservatory in 1800s in Meadville, Pennsylvania, so and so, and then her father was a bandmaster. But my uncle Dar made this gig with my father's, and so he met my mother, That she, his sister played piano, and he met my mother in 1928, and so they had a band together from about then and plus in their spare time made seven children. And <laughs> So, so that's, that's, that's sort of a bit of, of, of family history. <laughs> so music is just in the blood. Yeah, Music, music. In other words, all my, when I was born, four of my sisters at a, were singing on the radio, my, the, the Easley, the Easleys had a boy. You understand? So I came into the, I came into the world. Is like big news, you understand? <laughs> and that that's affected me for the rest of my <laughs> life. I had a wonderful mother, six sisters, three wives. So I've always just loved women, you understand? In other words, I've I've never thought of a woman as a second class citizen. You understand? You've been taught well. <laughs> oh, I, I'm an expert, you understand? You. I, I mean, if I wish I knew what? now what I knew when I was 18 or so. Wait, wait a minute. You said you wish you knew now? I wish knew I knew. Oh, see, I have to admit, I was Gomer Piles most of my life. I mean, really, really. I was a small town, you know, country boy from Olean, New York. Because I went right to New York when I was 18. And I've been, I've been a whole lot of places. And when I look back at my life, I say, you know, I remained the old, stupid country boy most of my life. I think I just got hip maybe last year, <laughs> but I'm hip now. Hundreds and hundreds of musicians that I've known over the years that are no longer on the planet. They're living in my head. There are certain <laughs> phrases that certain musicians Used to say, mm. I, I'll, get, I'll give you one of Harold Minerve. You remember Mr. Minerve? Yes, I do. Okay, so Mr. Minerve, you say to Mr. Hey, hey Minerve, what's happening? How you doing, Harold? He's ain't nothing shaking but the leaves on the tree, and they wouldn't. <laughs> the wind wasn't blowing. You understand? <laughs> or, my, or my friend, sound like can. him? Yeah, my friend, my old friend C.I. We, hey C.I., how you doing? He say everything like socks on a rooster. So I say that now, you know, and people say, what, what does that mean? I say, I don't, he never told me, you know. <laughs> Just an expression that he used. I, you know, and if somebody says that to you, you don't ask them, what does that mean? This That's, is true, this is true. Yeah, but I use it all the time. And every time I use it, people, what, what, what is that? You know, but at the time, I said, no, my friend used to use that. Everything he, like socks on a rooster. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. It's like, all right. <laughs> Go so, ahead, I'm so, going to let so, you talk.
0: So, 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 <laughs> so, all right, um, so you pick up a clarinet. I'm, I'm yeah. all the way back there. You okay. pick up this clarinet. Now, coming from
1: a musician family, did anyone in your family play clarinet? No, but there, but in other words, there was all, they always had a saxophone player in the band, you see? So, and when I was a little boy, they would rehearse in our living room and I remember I may have been still reaching up and grabbing the saxophone player's reed or ah, you don't touch my reed! I know that's right. <laughs> I know. So, right. so there was always they always had a saxophone player. So when I started playing, they, they usually they'd have a four-piece band. You know, back then musicians would go wherever there was work. You understand? Mm-hmm. So. And what when I was and this is first time I ever saw this guy and his name was Clyde Dickerson, and he migrated from uh, uh, Bristol, Tennessee. And he kept because they'd advertised the magazine, they say, a uh, band looking for a saxophone player who does this and does that. And uh, as as a kid in the church and I, w- the church was right across the street. And as a child, we'd go to church every Sunday and and a Christmas program and, you know, different concerts and things they would have at the church. So when you're a kid and you go to church every Sunday, anytime that they would have a guest or somebody new in the church, and at that time, the minister's name was Reverend Chappelle. And so Reverend Chappelle would say, we have a guest with us tonight and from, you know, Oklahoma and he's coming this. and would you have a word for us? And the person would stand, oh, thank you, Reverend. I enjoyed the service this morning, this afternoon and I'm going to, I want you to pray for me and I'm going to pray for you when I really love the this services. This so I'm sitting, so Clyde Dickerson, first time I could see Clyde Dickerson sitting there in the pew and he's bald-headed, and he's got this tenor hanging from his neck, you know? Yeah. This says, we have a guest that's just come to town and he's going to play for the saxophone verse tonight. And he says, would you have a word for us, Mr. Dickerson? And Clyde had probably had been in church in his life and he stood up, hey, what you say, man? You know, like he said, what you say, man? And I remember they pretty much had to put me out to church. You understand? <laughs> 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 I, to this day, that's the funniest thing I ever heard. You know? So you just started laughing. Yeah, I mean, everybody laughed, but I mean, as a kid, that was hilarious to me, you know? He said, what you say, man? Like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he left, he was the doorman at the Watergate Hotel. This is long after I'd left home. And then he left Oleanne and he moved to Washington. He was a doorman for many years at the Watergate Hotel. In Washington. Watergate break-in occurred. That man that found the, the you know, that found the unlocked door, yeah. he, he worked there the, and him and Clyde were friends. He had to hide out at Clyde's apartment for about two weeks because it's because before, yeah. they didn't want to start. No. And they were going to murder this man before the story of Watergate broke. And wow where he was high with my guy that I knew very well. And by that time, Clyde's nickname was Watergate Clyde. (laughs) It was a character that, that, uh, You know, and because that one of the first wild characters, and I've known hundreds and hundreds. And I know you have because you're one yourself. Well, no, (laughs) but see, this is the thing. And I'm talking, see, I'm, I'm, I'm into human growth. Human growth and development is my favorite subject. And when I think about it, I say, you know, and this, this is not just me is everybody you eventually become a product of everywhere that you've been and everyone that you've known you understand if in fact you take in there are some people that are reclusive but if you're the least bit open and and you know willing you take in something from everybody that you ever meet you know even if it's something you don't like or even if if, if you learn what you don't want to do mm-hmm from this I don't want to be like that you got it from somebody you know so right that's, right that's everybody right okay the, let that, me be clear the,
0: the, <laughs> no that that's that's pretty deep because um you know it, it is important to be open because you are a, a reservoir you are taking you in are. everything that that's occurring but what I think happens to some people is they take it in and they keep it in they don't. They don't know that they don't have to absorb everything. I'm, and well, I'm speaking yeah. to yeah, the empaths uh, of right. the world. You're right. Yeah. You don't have I, to bet, everything.
1: Uh, you, boy, you grew up. You, you got. Some. I grew up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you're a lot smarter than you were 40 years, 20 years ago. You understand? <laughs> and that. And you're right. You're right about. It. But th- but that. This is something that I just. I, in my 70s, I've just figured this out that I never really thought see some people are very closed and and some people don't even really want to be bothered with it. no they couldn't care if they said hello to you or not you understand mm-hmm. couldn't they really not that much interested in other people and they, i just mm-hmm. and i i could i'm thinking of a couple people that they they may not even say hello to you you understand mm-hmm. really not they they're not interested in talking to you they have no, and I've, I've, I've just figured it out. There's certain people, not a lot, but a few people, and I've finally accepted the fact, well, they, they don't want to talk to me. I, I want to talk to them, but they don't want to talk to me. And it is their right to not talk to me. You understand? I'm very aggressive and very, you know, but, but you know, you, you, as you said, I had sometimes people run when they see me. You understand? I didn't say that you did. <laughs> Yeah, well you inferred it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but
0: you know, Bill, you're touching on something that is, is I find fascinating in the sense of this whole thing about age. Um, what you just shared about in your 70s and coming to this this realization. Oh, yeah. You have to like, keep, keep think, growing. Oh, you keep have growing. to keep growing. I think that people And and myself included when, when, you know, being when I was younger, particularly in my twenties and thirties, you know, we look at people that are older. And we think that you stop growing after a certain point because people that are older seem to be very closed and not really open to wanting to learn new things. So you get this impression, you know, like from childhood on up that people over a certain age are dead already you know, mm-hmm. and that they don't continue to grow and they, that they they know everything. That's and, true. you know, for you to make that statement about in your 70s coming to this realization lets people know that, you know, every you're still evolving. It doesn't matter what age you are. Right, if right. you are breathing, whether you want to or not, you're evolving yeah. in some form or fashion. Absolutely. It may
1: Absolutely. not be in the direction you want to evolve in. No, you have but- to figure out, figure out what's next. In the human brain, as in the universe, past, present, and future all exist simultaneously. Only we got time here because we got a clock and we're rotating on an axis and we're going around the sun. So we have to measure time. We have a lifetime, you know, be it 20 years or be it 100 years. We have a period of time. But. Our spirit and which and we understand it in our mind, past, present, and future all exist simultaneously. In other words, I'm having a bad moment, if bad, you know, pandemic and so on, so on, so on, so on. Because every time I'm thinking about that, I can go back to a better time. (laughs) Boop, just like that. I'm on a sophisticated, we're down in Jackson. You understand? (laughs) Boop, I mean vividly. Yes. Maybe everybody can't do that. You know, I'm not sure, but I know that I can go back. I visit. I visit my mother. I visit my father. I people that have been gone. In my head, I can go back and relive that experience, just like just like is happening right now. You know, and I'm glad that you're
0: saying that because. We don't under, we don't realize that anytime we have a recall, we're recalling something that happened and we get emotional it's right. because in your mind it's happening in that moment wow. that you are re-
1: okay. recalling it. You are. Yeah, you, still you use a good word that you say, Emo-, see, in other words, not only should you remember the detail, you got to remember what it felt like. See? Yes. I try to visit, the good times you know because yeah see and not not only when you get older and the truth of the matter see feeling good is a full-time job you know the whole idea is to feel good you understand i feel good feeling good is an easy time job oh my god bill that's like that that is riches right there feeling full-time full-time job And, and i have role models one of my best friends lived to be 98, you know, I've, I've known a lot of people that had a lot of longevity. So not only do you learn what to do from those people, but you also learn what not to do. Yes. That? So right now here at yes. 75, but I'm th- tomorrow's not promise. But as I say, I've easy to go back to the past and relive things. And that you're in the now but you also be have to be able to project into the future and you have to visualize if in fact i'm still here at 90 or 95 or 100 what am i gonna be what am i gonna be when i grow up you understand way back when i was a kid before i left home and back in those days when the uh, minimum wage was a dollar an hour or something like i worked construction Right after I got out of high school to save my money to go to New York, and by, but I'm making three dollars and thirty cents, which is a whole lot of money. But my sister had, was already in New York, and she had worked with a guitar player that had been a studio musician. He was white, but he gave up his studio work because he wanted to be a star. And she said when he was a studio musician, he made a thousand dollars a week. A that which was unheard. That yeah, was like a million today, you know. But yeah. But at 15 years old, I say, yeah, I say, you know, this guy did it all backwards. What I'm going to do, I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to become a star first. And then I'm going to give off <laughs> and I'm going to become a studio musician. And I'm going to make $1,100 a week. Way back when I was 15 years old. Aww. Fast forward to those days of those bus and trucks or the plan had been gone a million diff- different directions since then. It wasn't quite as simple as I had planned it. <laughs> no matter what I was doing, and if you're on the road and you get a per diem check and you get it, right. when I would add up my money, it would be $1,100. <laughs> I said, Damn, this ain't the same $1,100 that I dreamed of. <laughs> paid a mortgage, you know what i But well, it was eleven hundred dollars. I just talked to another
0: musician, who gave a similar story, in terms of getting exactly what he asked for and exactly. realizing that yeah. he had to
1: redo you got, the request. You, got <laughs> you have to reset it, unless you have to start off with a a, a whole lot bigger goal. You know? Exactly. But Thank the truth big. of the matter. It is attainable. And, you know, I've I've never, even though I come from a music environment so, but I've never tried, I've never took any pride in thinking like a musician. You understand? I'd rather think like a plumber. You understand? If people think you're a plumber, they're more apt to pay you. I wanna talk a little bit more about your career and what you've done. This is the late 60s. I was with George Benson. This is back in the days when George's old band was booking for about nine hundred and fifty dollars a week. Oof, son, the whole band. Hundred and fifty dollars a week. We stayed mostly in rooming houses for thirteen dollars a week, fourteen dollars a week. And that was the greatest two years of my life. In Memphis, I went there cold turkey, but I worked with Isaac Hayes during the during the heyday and during Shaft and all of that. So I'm Oh working- my and then doing all the recording at Stax and so on, so on, so on. You were part of that crew, the Stax crew? Sure, sure, sure. I migrated to Memphis when I was about 25 years old. I lived in Pittsburgh for a short period of time, but I knew I had to get out of Pittsburgh. Farthest place I could get from Pittsburgh was Memphis, Tennessee. I knew there was some music going on. When I get to Memphis, by the time I get to downtown Memphis, I had a $20 bill in my pocket, and I didn't know one soul in that town, you know. So I, I got a room at the YMCA for $13 for the week, and I asked her, where's well, some cats playing and blah, 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 you know, blah, blah. So I first place I went into, there was a drummer that used to be with Jack McDuff by the name of Joe Dukes. Who, who was from Memphis, and he happened to be back in Memphis, sort of trying to get away from his habits, you know, and mm. into Joe Duke. So out of knowing no one in that town, I use the term all the time, divine intervention. Oh, yes. I can, I can tell you about 500 stories about divine intervention. So here I am in a town to where I don't know one soul. I got to Memphis, Tennessee on Tuesday. By Friday, I'm working seven nights a week. So you get to Memphis,
0: you have twenty dollars in your pocket, you know no one. Seven, I
1: done, I paid my rent.
0: Well, that's what I was saying. You pay yes. your room, you have seven dollars. Yeah. And you're working, you're working on Friday. So now to end that period, what was your mindset? Did you did you worry or did you know no. that you were going to be able to make it? No. Through?
1: Let's talk about ground zero. sometimes in your life you go to ground zero. But you learn a lot going from, you from do. To zero you can build a whole new building you understand i knew push come to shove i'm got good health i could i can wash dishes many times a show a gig come to an end i said well i can go stand on the street corner and get a cup and play but i've so far I ain't never done it yet, you understand? Spoon, something will come up. One door closes, another door opens. But that's been your philosophy, what I'm trying F to get at. From life. Aha. Uh-huh. The key to everything is gratitude. You can talk forever about what you don't have. If you, all you got to do is be grateful and more stuff comes to you, more stuff. I'm, I'm living my best life. What are you currently doing these days? I've never had a band. I've never been a band leader. I've made records accidentally, and I have about six leader records as a leader. But and they all got all of them ended up being in the top ten of airplay on the jazz stations and so. But I've never had never had an interest in being a band leader or anything like that. And I really wasn't that much interested in making another record because the whole Music business has changed now. Yeah. No, but my last record was a million seller. Did I tell you? No. Yeah, I got a 1000000 of them in my cellar. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, walked right into that. <laughs> I should know better. I right into that. <laughs> just, 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 that was a joke. <laughs> joke. That was a joke. Just walked right into that. that oh. <laughs> <whoa. laughs> anyway, but. I plan on making a record with some, not in New York, but with the, what's available here. And there's some cats that can play everywhere. So, but the- Where are you now? Are in you, so, Dur- you- Durham, North Carolina. Okay. But the name of the record, it's about, it's not just about some music. It's about a philosophy of life. The name of the record is going to be called, no matter where you go, there you are that's right peace is is here you understand? Peace pieces yes you don't go somewhere looking for some beasts you know if you ain't got it where you are it ain't gonna be it ain't over there just like we said feeling good is a is a good time is, full-time job i wanted to ask you a
0: question about practice you play many instruments i don't play mean?
1: them all every day no
0: oh, okay so mainly,
1: mainly what mainly what i play i uh, the flute I play more than anything now because the flute just has to do with the breath of life. There ain't nothing vibrating but you, you understand? And it's it's about air. You know, other than time, air is your next best possession. (laughs) When you run out of air, that's pretty much it, you understand? (laughs) So, so, so I like, I play the flute. And then I pick up my other horns and clarinet I may pick up once and during a week or so sometime. But if you've been playing it for sixty five years, you know, it's sometimes you pick it up and and you either you find new things or you found some things that you knew a long time ago that you forgot about. Bill, I my goodness, I cannot thank you enough. My pleasure. I'm sorry I couldn't think of anything to say, but maybe <laughs>
0: What fun. He's so much fun and so joy filled. It's contagious. Look out for Bill's album. It drops in March. It's called Diversatonic. You heard him reference wherever you go. And there you are. Those are two original tunes on his album. Make sure you check them out. Go to BillEasily.net and learn more about this incredible legendary artist. I hope that you enjoyed that and was thoroughly, thoroughly inspired and uplifted by what you heard. If you are in a situation currently that is unfulfilling to you, be it a job or a career you've been pursuing, and you feel like there's something else that you really want to do or you already know what that is, get quiet, sit still, breathe in and out deeply, and begin to envision what that is that you wish to create. And remember, there's nothing too big. It's only small ideas. Think big and write that down. What is it that you wish to create? Write it down, put it in your phone, speak it out loud to people that are supportive of you and go for it, go for it. Don't delay, start now, even if you plot in your mind what your escape plan is going to be but go for it. This life is meant to be lived to the fullest. Take advantage. No matter what is happening in your life right now, there can always be room to create more. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to visit JackieBirdSpiritualWellness.com. Join my mailing list. I have audiobooks, guided meditation videos and audio and meditation music, everything for inspiration and to help you relieve stress, increase your mindfulness and awareness and presence. And remember to always roll with peace in mind.